Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. Beginning this month, I'm going to try and do two podcasts a month, one in the first week and another one in the third week. So to my listeners, welcome back. Please submit questions which may inspire me or I may ignore them if I have independent inspiration. It's been a while since I've done one of these. It's been an interesting year with many, many major moves across multiple markets. And I think when that happens, whenever they're sort of major market moves, I think it's useful to ask, has there been a fundamental underlying change in in reality? Or is there a change of perception, either for better or worse, corrected or now in error? Or are things primarily a function of liquidity demand? Of course, the markets don't come with labels. The categories are not mutually exclusive. And one, of course, can be wrong. But I think it is possible to make some reasonable judgments and come up with some statements that are useful and meaningful. So in the treasury market, you know, obviously huge move on the front end, slightly smaller move on the back end, but still quite large. Obviously, that is a function of policy. It's not a matter of perception that the Fed's target policy rate is now between 375 and 4, and it'll go up again in a month. I've written and said that you know I felt the move from zero to two was uh, economically totally irrelevant, if anything, a little bit stimulative. The move from two to four has real bite. And a furthermore move from you know four to six, though who knows exactly where, I feel confident in saying things will break. Prior to the Powell's conference, on what was yesterday, Wednesday, the second, I thought it was very, very unlikely that they would go to the point of breaking things. I have to say, you know, his tone may be slightly less optimistic on that front. So the move from zero to four has taken the fizzle off of the housing market and slowed down all real estate related things. A move from four to six would really kill the commercial real estate market. Essentially, all commercial real estate would be underwater. And commercial real estate uh, is the backbone collateral for regional and community banks. Uh, Less important for the big four or five who really are in the underwriting and transaction business. So the move in sovereign rates, you know, that's real and fundamental. If we turn to the high yield market, I think the picture is mixed. And if we talk specifically about spreads, which have gone from something in the low 300s over, depending on which segment of the market, which index to something between 500 and 600 over, I think that's a mix of all three things that I saw as potential factors. You know, an underlying change Yes, the probability of uh, some economic distress, a recession has gone up. Yes, with supply chains and so forth and uneven inflation, 
volatility has gone up and the chances for a company being on the wrong side of that are obviously increased. So reality does suggest higher default rates than the very, very low, really non-existent defaults that have occurred in the last year or two in the uh, post-pandemic, not actually, (laughs) I guess it's still not post-pandemic, but in the liquidity flood that followed the onset of the pandemic. So I think the increase in high yield spreads reflects both a correct view towards somewhat higher defaults based on reality, and also probably some liquidity-driven stuff and a perception, in fact, being somewhat worse than the reality, also written before. At 500 to 600 spread, I can say I feel fairly confident that realized losses will be substantially below that, probably below the historic average, which is something like two and three quarter percent. And certainly for the whole of the duration of the high yield index, credit losses will be less than is implied by the spread. The area that I think is you know, most intriguing now is there's been, for that market, a very large increase in spreads between sovereign rates and securities with essentially no credit risk. So for example, in the uh, AAA CLO market, spreads were in the neighborhood of 50 basis points prior to the great financial crisis, ballooned to a little over 300 basis points for a nanosecond right after the crisis, and maybe for a nanosecond after the onset of the pandemic, retreated you know, fairly quickly to a new level of somewhere between 100 and 140 basis points, starting the year at roughly 125. Now, in the last three months, that's ballooned to something over 200. And with the increase in rates, it means what is a riskless security from a credit point of view now pays a floating six and a half, six and three quarter percent rate. It will be very, very difficult for equity markets to compete with that. And I think in terms of the spreads in these uh, virtually riskless markets, I don't think one can say that there's been a fundamental change in reality. The structures are extremely strong. I don't think people have really decided that the probability of a tremendous economic cataclysm has risen to something like two or four percent per annum. I don't think the probability of genuine economic cataclysmic kinds of things has actually increased. And I don't actually think that the move is uh, a result of a change of perception. People sort of misestimating the probability of something really, really bad happening on the economic front. So I think that is the one market that we can say, all right, this is a matter of liquidity. People's actual need for cash and people's perceived need or comfort. Now, one of the things about liquidity and the perceived need 
for liquidity or one's comfort level with a portfolio. That is not all cash or mostly cash, is that it can change more or less instantaneously. And in the past, that's usually been the result of Fed interventions, but but not always. So certainly the liquidity crunch in 98 precipitated by the collapse of long-term capital was ended instantaneously with a Fed meeting and a three-quarter percentage point rate cut. That isn't going to happen now, but what could happen is the actuality and the perception of the Fed pausing in addition to ordinary seasonal flows. One of the things that I've talked about previously is uh, the change in the instrumentality of Fed policy. So previously, the Fed bought and sold treasury bills to add or drain reserves. It did not pay interest on reserves held by member banks. So in adding or draining reserves, there was an immediate change in the ability of the banking system to make loans. When the Fed drained reserves, um, banks had to cease making loans and reduce their loan exposure. Post the great financial crisis, the principal instrument of Fed policy is what they call their policy rate, which is an interest rate that the Fed actually pays to member banks on their reserves held at the Fed. Prior to the start of this cycle, there were $4 trillion in excess reserves, money sitting at the Fed, earning the Fed policy rate. Um, and again, you know, pre-grade financial crisis, there were no such things as excess reserves. Banks simply didn't hold them because they were not earning assets. As a result of the Fed's move to shrink their balance sheet, and excess reserves have gone from four trillion to three trillion, but three trillion is still a huge number, which means lending capital is still available. It's just will be much more expensive for borrowers, and essentially borrowing across all sorts of markets uh, has slowed dramatically and will essentially come to not a halt, but will be radically reduced at current rates. So ergo, the demand for liquidity on that front, we can anticipate being greatly reduced. And as soon as supply exceeds demand, price changes dramatically. And so things that have moved as a result of liquidity preference can in fact reverse over a extremely short time frame. Again, in thinking about the Fed's balance sheet and the $4 trillion in excess reserves now reduced to $3 trillion. If, in fact, $3 trillion worth of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries move from the Fed's balance sheet to J.P. Morgan and Citigroup's balance sheet, economically, that really is the equivalent of moving money from your left pocket to your right pocket, it would have no economic effect. And again, while that would be $3 trillion in assets held in the banking systems, held in treasuries and securities, and therefore not immediately available for 
corporate and individual borrowers, that won't be the fundamental driver of the balance between the supply and demand for liquidity. It will be the demand on the corporate side. And again, if one thinks of you know commercial real estate as the simplest example, the funds rate is six. Commercial loans are going to be you know between eight and ten. No new transactions will occur. So, post-pandemic, one could anticipate a surge in loan demand as businesses at every level increase inventory. We really are at rates now, and certainly at higher rates, that that demand goes away. So I think it's quite likely that the imbalance in supply and demand for liquidity flips, and that therefore anything that's been driven not by the fundamental change in reality or by perception, but the things that are most sort of liquidity driven are the most likely to reverse. And in the meantime, one is paid extremely well, both absolutely on a risk-adjusted basis and probably on an inflation-adjusted basis for owning debt securities outside of the corporate sector. So those are my two cents for the beginning of the month. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.